This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. I am Andreas Babiolakis. And this is our post-Oscar episode of ContraZoom, where we're going to talk about uh, what we thought about it, um, from the hosting to the announcers to the winners themselves, who got snubbed, who deserved to win, who was a surprise, and and everything in between. Um, I guess I'll go back to uh, part one and two of our Oscar extravaganza, you and I, along with our special guest, Dasha Paragadova, uh, made some predictions for some of the bigger categories. And we uh, we talked about who we want to win, but who we think will win. And while we didn't go over, over, over all of them, we did go through a big chunk. And in the posting for the second episode, I included a uh, image of what all of our picks were for all of the categories, just so that people can sort of hold us to our word. And... Uh, the results were interesting. Um, <laughs> yes. Our picks were all really close. Uh, you and I only had three differences, and Dash and I only had one difference. Uh, and because of that, Dash and I ended up tying with 16 right, and you got 14, mainly because of the differences where uh, you went in a different direction and I ended up winning those ones. But like looking at the numbers... You know, I'm thinking about 16, and I feel like I did pretty decent as far as picking them because the ones that I got wrong, other than, like, the the shorts, which are always so hard to predict, they were pretty out there winners. Yeah. um, Unfortunately, 2015 was a lot more competitive than I had realized. Um, this This is the kind of year that's, going to probably forever change how I predict from here on out because I remember I was talking about this with you off the air and we were talking about one of the easier years 2013 you know it was easy to kind of predict that gravity was going to take a lot of the technical wins 12 years of slave was going to take the big prize you know Lupita Nyong'o was going to be be the, the fresh face that, that won an acting award that year. I think there was not really that big of a competition. You know, there was a lot that could easily be predicted. And, and you know, we thought, okay, we've, we've got this pretty much solid. Last year, we had Birdman and Boyhood, which, depending on how the Academy felt, could have gone to either or. One of them was going to be a big winner, the other one, Measley. I picked Boyhood, you picked Birdman, it ended up going to Birdman. This year, that almost happened in a variety of categories, and not just with one, not just with two uh, nominees competing with one another. So we had quite a toss-up of what what we would consider shocking wins, but at the same time, if you really think about it, are they really that shocking? Maybe just because we felt so sure with what we were voting on that you know to us it seemed like it would be highly probable but i guess after 2016's academy awards that's not necessarily the case 
Yeah, uh, I think there's an interesting trend, which uh, we'll go in a little bit later, but it has to do with the pairing of picture and director. And it, it's one that I'm actually kind of happy that if the tides are sort of turning, I think it's sort of interesting looking at overall <clears throat> something that I had mentioned to you was looking at the winners list, it was basically going to be The Revenant and Mad Max winning everything. And I, I actually said to you, I think though they are the only two films that are going to come away with multiple wins. Everything else is going to be a single win. And I almost was completely right with that because uh, outside of those two, only um, Spotlight won more than one award and they only won two. So you're looking at it and it was kind of shocking because every year at the Oscars, you know, you have the big winner, which has anywhere from five to eight wins. And then you have like a couple that like end up in the three to four range. And then you have a couple that have two and then everything else is one. This is very much dominated by two films this year where I don't think we've seen that level of domination in quite a long time. Especially on what they are. You have The Revenant, which is a very testing film and quite a gruesome one at that, which is usually not very academy um, accessible. If you look at stuff like Drive, you know, that kind of stuff usually doesn't get picked up by the academy. And then you have um, Mad Max Free Road, which is an action film, which, you know, the last thing I could think of that had any sort of kind of love from the academy was, you know, maybe Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's calling that an action film is quite a stretch. It even uh, even still that only what got a couple nominations and I think it won one technical award but nothing exactly. else. Exactly, and it's bizarre to think that those two highly dominated in nominations and dominated still reasonably well in actual wins. Well, uh, I guess before we talk about the specific winners, um, Chris Rock was the host, and there was sort of a lot of. The spotlight was, no pun intended, was definitely on him due to all the controversy that, you know, you and I have specifically avoided sort of talking about the um, Oscar so white uh, issue. And, you know, I, I, I think I still don't really want to get too into that. The issue, I don't believe, is an Oscars issue. The I think that was an easy scapegoat. The issue more so has to do with um, casting. The and, industry. Yeah, the industry as a whole. I think it was yeah. just an easy sort of target to, to take aim at. And it's not a really easy issue that we're going to be able to talk about or solve in a short podcast. Uh, that, that has to do with a lot more and... and I'm glad the discussion is happening, even though it's kind of getting a bit out of hand by some people. But Chris Rock, like it or not, was asked to step down and was and did not. And Chris Rock is not someone who, who ever really shies away from saying controversial things. And uh, I, as far as a comedian hosting, I was a little bit disappointed that it ended up being a little light on jokes a lot of it meant was more political statements that were sort of cloaked in one-liners yeah. uh, but that said the fact that chris rock chris rock basically said you know you want to make a spectacle out of this i'm going to show you what a spectacle actually looks like and you know uh in, in his opening monologue mentioning lynching rape police brutality liberal racism uh reverse racism black on black racism um 
and complacency and a whole bunch of other things like I don't think you could have said more offensive things in an opening speech that he did while still making it poignant and funny. Right. And I was scared because for obvious reasons, I can't say what his most famous jokes as a stand-up comedian are. But if you know Chris Rock really well, you know what they are. One of his jokes is including, you know, when can white people talk about these specific things, which I guess case in point, if you've heard a stand-up, I'm not yet allowed to talk about it. But the point is, he is probably the most well-known actor when it comes to race-related issues outside of Richard Pryor. And knowing that he was going to host the Academy Awards at such a time was quite freaky, especially with his promotional, twi- his promotional Twitter work, where you know he had a lot of hashtags where he said he was going to block, he was going to black out the Oscars. He had like a lot of static, which a lot of that ended up kind of just being a bit light within. The actual ceremony, the, the static was referring to a, a later skit in, in the show, um, which we'll get to in a second, which, whatever, that was all fun and games, I guess. But um, let's go back to the opening monologue. Uh, he came out in a white in a white blazer, and um, that's exactly what he did. He, he basically blazed as much as he could. But what I, what I did find interesting was how much he was using it as, as a podium to basically speak on why this kind of boycotting is awful while looking at the bigger issue, as you were saying, seeing, saying that there is something here, but the people doing this boycott don't know what they're doing because this doesn't make a lot of sense, where a lot of the evening was actually spent at um, Jada Pickett Smith and Will Smith's expense, <laughs> quite, quite honestly, because they were two of the most vocal voices in um in this whole controversy so um what did you think of the opening monologue otherwise uh you know all all knives out and everything uh i thought it was good i they, like i said i was only really disappointed by the fact that he he didn't really talk about the year in movies which is what it was supposed to be celebrating yeah um, you know, that sort of didn't come until later during the parody sequence. And even then was still not, it was still done in a, in a, we're going to keep talking about this issue. Yes. Which, uh, which, which after a while, I, I understand the reasoning behind it that you know, you want, cause that's all people were literally talking about for almost the whole time leading up to the Oscars was this this issue. And so, you know, it was sort of like, well, I'm going to rub your face in it a, a little bit. Like, you know, when a dog pees in the carpet, you rub their face in it. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, it, it was a little unfair to people who, you know, wanted to watch the ceremony to celebrate movies. Yeah, and it's a bit of a shame because the opening monologue is one thing, but the fact that it kind of kept going and, you know, the the parody skits, I, I was okay with. On, on their own, everything worked. It's just as a yeah. whole. I don't know if everything on their own actually works, to be honest. Um, later on in the show, he, he has some jokes which really didn't fly. For instance, um, pulling out Stacey Dash, which resulted in, I believe, the first time since... James Franco and Anne Hathaway supposedly hosted the Academy that 
a joke went without a single laugh, and most of the people in the audience actually cringed at the at the cluelessness of the situation, pun intended. And uh, I get the joke. I just didn't find it funny. What about you? <laughs> that, that was weird because I don't know if I was uh, I was looking down or I was saying something, but I missed her introduction, and she was on for like a half a second, and then I was like, "Who's that?" And then she was gone, and then it was completely let's move on to the next thing so i like completely missed the moment and i was just sort of befuddled by it so like it, it just completely flew over my head well even if you watched it it would have flown over your head anyways and again i get the joke i get that stacy dash said that there shouldn't be a black history month i i fully get it like the weekend and everybody else in the in the crowd i just didn't find it funny i i thought it was actually quite cringeworthy and there was that moment, and then there was another moment, which sadly lasted a little bit longer as it dragged into the commercials very awkwardly. Um, the moment later on when he brought out a group of Asian kids and basically made a sweatshop joke, which, uh, what did he think of that? Because <laughs> it was quite awkward on my end. I think the premise behind it was really good, but the execution was done sort of awkwardly. Yeah. Um, I think if he... If the kids were a little bit older and, you know, were maybe actual actors and not just like one kid who had no idea what he was doing and was about to run off stage, uh, it might have actually worked. The point behind it, I get, but the execution of it did not work. The execution was a literal execution of sorts. And that's the thing, like a lot of the jokes later after the monologue, because truth be told... Dark jokes, light jokes aside, I thought the the opening monologue was quite hysterical, and I was I was in tears, and I thought a lot of it was actually poignant. I do agree that a little bit of it was too was a little bit too political. It skipped over the actual discussion of films, but you know what? It I still thought it was funny. Outside of that, a lot of the rest of the thematically linked moments were again very hit or miss. You know, um, the skits part where you had like Whoopi Goldberg behind Jennifer Lawrence and Joy basically um, saying, you know, I would have had to cure cancer to get to your position. You know, basically the joke was black actors wouldn't be able to pair up with the white actors in these specific films where Tracy Morgan actually made quite a triumphant return um, since his, his horrible accident years ago as um, apparently Eddie Redmayne in the Danish girl. And, <laughs> Well, these were also kind of funny. Some of them just weren't that funny. Um, chime in Chris Rock in The Martian kind of being left in space because he is black, um, which was the big blackout thing he was alluding to on Twitter, which that kind of summed up most of the thematic jokes that evening, including the Girl Scout cookie, this, the Girl Scout cookie rather, um, running joke, which I thought was funny. Basically, he had his daughter was a Girl Scout guide, and her group wanted to raise um, money for charity with their Girl Scout cookies, and everybody in the audience bought, and they ended up raising $65,000, so they're obviously being first. That was funny until they kept talking about it after the fact. I don't know. What do you think? The the Girl Scout thing didn't really bug me. Um, I think, going back to the parodies, I think only the Tracy Morgan one really worked for me. The Whoopi Goldberg one was a, was a little cringeworthy, and the the Martian one just like completely missed the mark. Where yeah. it was just like, okay, we get it. You think that because you're black, 
the movie could not even exist. Like that, that part, that the Martian one I found was the only one that was sort of insulting as a viewer. What about the Revenant one where um, I can't oh, remember what her yeah, name is. Oh, yeah, she's from SNL. Yeah. Uh, that, that got a little chuckle out of me. Uh, I think it, it wasn't very funny, but it wasn't like it was in bad taste or anything like that. I, I, I had no issue with it. If that was if that was the weak link in, in the whole thing, then that would have been a very good set of parody. Uh, let's take a short break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll start talking about the actual winners. So uh, I figured we might as well get the the biggest and best ones out of the way first. Uh, best picture went to Spotlight. I I was I was surprised because up until maybe you know two three weeks ago, I thought Spotlight was going to win. I was all set to pick it, and then the Revenant slowly started to win some awards like the BAFTAs. Uh, even though the rest of the big indicator pre-awards, like the Producers Guild Awards, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, things like that, they were all going in complete different directions, and there was no clear-cut favorite. But with the BAFTAs, you sort of figured that with enough overlapping between voting members, that that was sort of the best indicator. And The Revenant also looked like it was going to win a bunch of other awards so that looked like the the clear favorite and then you know spotlight ends up coming back which i think quite possibly was probably the most deserving of the group what about you well you know me i've been championing spotlight since i saw the damn thing months ago i've seen it countless times i've basically referred to it as the modern day version of all the president's men I think it is a very relevant film, and unfortunately, I know the Academy sometimes goes with whatever's got the biggest push, and they sometimes miss out on these quiet little winners. You know, All the President's Men didn't actually end up winning Best Picture, so I thought that was going to happen again. I knew it won a, a plethora of Best Picture wins, but when it came to the big ones, like the Golden Globes, I figured, okay, The Revenant just came out. The Golden Globes are kind of getting... They're kind of getting their their passion out of the way, and then it's going to end up going to, you know, the real big guns, right? Okay, so is it Mad Max or Spotlight? Then the BAFTAs gave it to the Revenant, which that there kind of seemed like the tides were turning. And if you asked me to change my prediction virtually seconds before Morgan Freeman ended up opening the envelope and saying who the winner was, I would have still said, eh, it's the Revenant, you know, you know, you know, look at who look at who won for best director. You know, it's got four wins already, including best picture. Let's just get this out of the way. But I was wrong. And I ran around the room basically going, Oh my god, it did it, Spotlight did it. And then I sat down and I realized I was like, wait, how the hell did it do it? But at this point, I don't care how it did it. I think it is the most deserving film of the bunch to win. I think it is an absolute instant classic. And I'm so glad that The Quiet Film won because Spotlight is exactly what it is. It's this quiet team that's tucked away that ended up changing 
everything at the last possible second, and it did, and it made its statement, and just well done, Spotlight. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really happy about that one, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the the split happening between pitcher and director because best director went to Nyaratu for the Revenant. Uh, I'm liking it because I sort of feel that you know the best director award should go to someone whose imprint is so clearly felt that if it was someone else directing the movie would be would be so different or, or whatever you want to look at that like it's so intrinsically tied to that director and the revenant i, I believe is that sort of film where it's so tied to Unyaratu, whereas spotlight tom mccarthy's direction while i'm sure is very solid is very backseat behind the story. I, I would say the, the story is even more crucial than the great acting that's in that. So, but overall, Spotlight is a more well-rounded film uh, from, you know, performances, story to craft, all these sort of things make it a better overall film, whereas Best Director for The Revenant showcases the best directing of the year which I'm fine with. Absolutely. And, you know, if you watch The Revenant and you rewatch it, whatever, the fact that you have such insane choreography, the fact that everything is working cohesively like a fluid river cascading down this, this pathway and down a waterfall, crashing and exploding everywhere. I don't know how the hell Inuritu did it, but he did. And... Despite the fact that I think Spotlight was the better film overall, out of all the nominees, I don't think anybody came close to Inyaritu's directing. And we had some really damn good contenders. So I am perfectly fine with the split. And I'm with you. You know what? Sometimes the director deserves to have the picture win as well. Or vice versa. But that's not always the case. And sometimes it feels like it's a lock when it shouldn't be. Take the King's Speech, for instance, which I'm sure, again, when we get to our Oscar podcast of that, we will definitely have our say on it. Was the King's Speech good? Yes, it, it was pretty good. Was Tom Hooper the best director of that year? I highly, highly doubt it, especially with, you know, the auteurs you had that year, like Danny Boyle. You had uh, Darren Aronofsky. You had David Fincher, which had these films that, as you said, were their definite stamp. That could have been a split year. This year was a year that definitely couldn't have been a split year, but I, I'm in agreement with you. I am certainly glad that it is because it deserved it. Yeah. Um, I I personally would have voted for uh, Adam McKay for the big short for best director, but that said, I have, I have no qualms with Inyartu winning as I, as I think that the direction is slightly different as far as what I like in them, but it definitely was masterful and he really does deserve it. Um, speaking of people who may or may not have deserved it, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio won for best actor. I was, I was really worried that when he was win would win that, People would just be saying, oh, you know, it's it's his Lifetime Achievement Award. They're they're rectifying his past mistakes. And from what I saw today, you know, other than the few jokes of um, of people being of people being like, oh, well, yeah, Leo finally won. Uh, ha ha. Good. Good for him. Sort of thing. Sort of stupid jokes like that. 
I have not seen anyone make the the connection that it's a, a lifetime achievement rectifying for past mistakes, which I, I am I'm a, I am happy about because honestly, for the actor the crop of actors this year, I felt were slightly weaker. That I don't think there really was anyone to challenge Leah. While he was not my favorite male performance ever, maybe even this year, I don't know. Uh, he was probably the most deserving of the group. So I do think it was a justified win. And it's funny that you say that because I've noticed that as well, that nobody's made that connection. But it felt like in the auditorium where it was held, everybody there made that connection because he had yeah. one of the biggest standing ovations of that evening, which we'll get into the other one later on. Um, but aside from him and an 87-year-old veteran Hollywood legend, he got the highest standing ovation honor. And, you know, everybody, ex especially the best actor nominees that were in the same group with him, you know, you had Brian Cranston grinning at Eddie Redmayne almost crying, not because he lost, but because he was in such awe to see Leonardo DiCaprio actually winning. Everybody was full of glee ecstatic on their feet applauding he couldn't even start his lengthy speech until like maybe like a minute later like they just wouldn't stop and that to me felt like a legacy thing not you were so damn good in the revenant that you've changed my life and i'm gonna name my my child glass after you you know it was a legacy thing but i also appreciate the fact that on social media that nobody's saying that they they have said yes he's finally won but they didn't say you know what they would have said for the departed maybe like yeah, this with, is to make up for the departed this is to make up for um blood diamond this is to make up for titanic this is to make up for inception or whatever you want to say what's eating gilbert grape what's or whatever eating, yeah. yeah i do i wanted him to win and i'm super glad that he did and i thought it was a very trapper moment what did you think of his speech actually because uh there have been some hit or misses online with how people felt about it but i thought knowing how leo is he's always talking about you know, climate change and, and the wilderness and wildlife, I expected him to say something. So I thought his speech was actually very tasteful, well-spoken, and it brought a lot of awareness to something that was important, despite the fact that, you know, he has a massive yacht that might not be doing the most helpful things to the environment. Yeah, no, I I, I thought he it was a great speech. I think it was... He he probably had one of the most scripted speeches of the night. There there is no there is no hesitation in what he had to say, even with some people making message speeches, um, which I don't know if if that means he's had this speech memorized for a while or or what have you, uh, or if he's just that good speaking off the cuff. Um, I I liked it. I I it was very powerful. I have no issues with it, and I think it tied in very nicely to to the movie itself. It's not like it's sort of not someone like Patricia Arquette, who I thought her acceptance speech last year about equality was was moving and poignant. It, I, I like that Leo sort of related to his movie in that he picked a movie like The Revenant, which clearly showcased uh, the beauty of nature because that's something he's passionate about. Boyhood had nothing to do with equality, women's equality, even though Patricia Arquette still mentioned it in her speech. Not that I have an issue with that. All right, moving on to Best Actress. We had Brie Larson. You already mentioned earlier about how you sort of called it you told that story in the last podcast so uh you you could pat yourself on the back i think 
I was very confident with this pick up until they were announcing the names and Sir Ronan got the biggest cheer in the auditorium. Yeah. And I had the biggest amount of self-doubt of any of the categories. Yeah, especially with how so many other categories played that evening. I got pretty petrified. I said, oh shit, this is the first time since that August event that I had that I'm actually doubting this, but I'm glad that you won a well-deserved win. And um, speaking of actual speeches, hers was a lot more candid and honest. She basically just thanked people that she that she had in her life, her her cast members, um, her fiance, I believe it is. But nonetheless, it was a lot less scripted. I would say it was it was a lot more like, oh my goodness, I didn't expect this to actually happen. <laughs> In uh, Larson actually thanked uh, the Toronto Film Festival, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Which, yeah, bringing it back to, to Toronto. And she's not even Canadian or anything. So the fact that she heavily promoted this, maybe because Room was a Canadian production, I think. But the fact that she he- heavily promoted the Toronto Film Festival, you know what? Thank you, Brie Larson. That means a lot, actually. <laughs> uh, and then Best Supporting Actor, we had Mark Rylance, who who sort of looked like it was between him and Mark Ruffalo and then Sylvester Stallone kept winning a bunch of awards. And then that was, that was my reluctant pick was picking Stallone while I thought he was really solid. And I said, he deserved to win. I still think if I was voting, it would be Ruffalo with a, a second place tie between Stallone and Rylance. So I'm glad Rylance ended up winning. Yeah. Once I heard uh, Patricia Arquette saying Mark R- something or other and you made a funny tweet about this last night actually um i got up and i started writing and i said oh my god my boy ruffalo has done it he's done it i didn't expect this he's finally a winner and why is the bridge of spies guy standing can we rewind and we i went back and i was like oh she actually said ryland oops but when i actually sat down and thought about it you know what he had quite a specific role that impacted a lot of people this year a lot of people were even felt like he was the best this year out of any category and he was in bridge of spies for what 15 minutes at most yeah it was, it was a pretty small part but uh, it was so crucial i think there's still surprises and that was definitely one of the bigger ones uh supporting actress went to alicia vikander which I, I think was pretty obvious to just about everyone except for, for I think, a few people. I, maybe even just, like, one person. <laughs> Is that one person me? I think so. Who did you pick? <laughs> and do you care to defend it? Here's what I'm going to have to say about that. As I said in the Oscar podcast that we had previously, I was all for either Vikander or, or Winslet winning. I thought both of them had an even shot, but it was super tricky because usually the BAFTAs are a great indicator until you get confused with them voting on the English because they're English. And that's what happened with Kate Winslet. And I felt, okay, I have two possibilities with the actual Academy Awards. I'm looking at Steve Jobs with two acting nominations, and I'm looking at the Danish girl with four. It only has two acting category nominations and it has other production design and costume kind of nominations. So the way I looked at it, I said, okay, either it's going to win for the production design and the costumes or it's going to win for the for the acting award, one of them. And it wasn't going to be Eddie Redmayne, despite the fact that he put on a great, uh, put on a great job. So because I looked at 
the Kate Winslet performance, I looked at it as either one of those films that just wins for an acting win, or it could have been a doubt of that year, which got nominated for a series of 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 acting roles and he didn't win a single one. But I went with my gut, which was Winslet's gonna win and Dana Scholl's gonna win for its its artsy its artsiness. And I got duped. So I lost on three categories because of that gamble when I should have gone with the other option, which was Vikander winning and Steve Jobs being the doubt of the year. So, whoops. But Winslet and Vikander are both deserving. And I'm glad that Vikander's got a win at all because I love Swedish cinema and she's the freshest thing to come out of that scene in ages. And that's saying a lot because Swedish cinema is terrific. It is. Um foreign film went to son of saul which i think was a surprise to no one except for the fact that i still haven't seen it i i loved a war and mustang and if it's better than those two then i i can't wait to see it son of saul to keep it short is harrowing and absolutely devastating but it's one of those films that's so heavy that there's a glimpse of beauty within it and for me, it was it was not a surprise, despite the fact that there were a lot of strong contenders. I think anybody, this is one of the few Sherlock's, which I thought there were many beforehand, but there you go. It's one of the few Sherlock's after the fact where I said, yeah, yeah, I couldn't see any other winner here. Kind of crazy. Uh, and I think Inside Out as animated feature, there's literally nothing you could say about that that was predicted from the moment it came out all the way through there were some rumblings about will anomalies be the first you know adult themed one to pull it off but i i don't i don't think that was even ever really considered seriously i think sometimes there are some manufactured races and i think that might have been one of them i mean anomalies was my favorite film of last year but there, the fact that inside out was basically being talked about for being nominated for best picture i think we can not kid ourselves here with that well who was going to win with that one i guess case in point yeah it was pixar pixar does as pixar does sort of thing and you know people will complain about it um but i think pixar disney has won half of the animated film awards but like i i think the animated category brings to light a lot of films that I would not normally see. Um, I I would not. I probably would have not have sought out stuff like uh, Boy in the World or When Marnie Was There or um, uh, Anomalisa. And what was the what was the the last one? Oh, I'm sure you would have seen Shaun the Sheep outside of this. Shaun the Sheep, yeah. Like all those are movies that I probably would not have uh, seeked out on my own accord. And I think the the animated one usually provides uh, the most interesting range in types of films for all the categories outside of foreign. Yeah, I mean, you look at The Boy in the World, and that's that's the kind of expansion you could get with an animated film. That's a mind opener right there. Yeah, which was pretty crazy. Um, either the screenplays, I don't really have anything to say. Uh, I figured that Spotlight was going to win that, and that was going to be its consolation prize. That ended up being the only other one that it won. And Big Short, you know, that was a very verbal, dialogue-heavy film that, you know, they love to give uh, screenplay awards to. So neither of them were really surprising for me. They were both the strongest by far, so I'm really not surprised. Yeah, uh, they, they had different things going for them. It worked. Um, 
Original score, Hateful Eight. That was another one which sort of seemed pretty foregone. Um, and the award, while I think is going to be seen as a win for the Hateful Eight, I actually think this is more of a lifetime achievement award for Ennio Morricone than, say, something like the Leo Award, but rightfully so. Yes, um, I've said it before and I'll say it a billion times. He's my all-time favorite score composer. I think he's an absolute genius. And I think the Academy said, hey, he's done his first Western score in like 40 years and it's actually really good. The fact that, you know, it was actually the strongest score, absolutely it was in the actual category. I think even if it wasn't, it would have ended up winning for that sole fact. But luckily it was, so it can't just be seen as that kind of a thing. But at the same time, Inu Morricone is almost 90, and he's finally getting an Academy Award win that isn't an honorary one. I, I am just glad, because he rightfully deserves it. He is behind some of the greatest themes in English or foreign films of old and new. I think he's an absolute genius. And, you know, people like Zimmer will easily look up to this guy and say, this guy is the reason why I write the way that I write. So I'm, I'm just so glad. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. And I the fact that he used leftover work from um, his, his the thing, right? for The Thing uh, really helped it because The Thing has a, a quite fantastic soundtrack on its own. Uh, and it's nice to sort of see them combined. And now for possibly the most controversial win of the night, it was Spectre, the Sam Smith song. Um, the, right, uh, the song was called uh, The Writings on the Wall. Uh, ended up winning, beating um, Tell Happens to You from the Hunting Ground by Lady Gaga. Uh, that was that was surprising because it seems like the Academy has sort of learned from its mistake of uh, giving It's Hard Out Here from a Pimp and give the give this award to message songs as almost every song in the past, you know, five years or so has been really message themed. And The Hunting Ground is probably the most message theme um, song, or sorry, Tell Happens to You. So I think it was very shocking for Spectre to win the award considering how negative some people have received the song and the film itself. Uh, were you surprised by this one? Oh my god, above and beyond. At first, when they, when it was being announced, I was like, that's a weird way of pronouncing Diane Warwick. That's not Diane Warwick. Oh my god, how did the song just lose? And don't get me wrong, there were some other strong contenders as well, you know, from Racing Ex Extinction to Youth, which had their own ter terrific original songs. And I'm, I'm not a fan of Earned It, but even, even live, that actually was a bad rendition. I said, okay, I kind of understand maybe why this got some sort of recognition but that or possibly writings on the wall were my two weakest songs of the category and while they're not awful they're I'm, I, w I wouldn't think they're on the exact same ground as some of these other films and or these songs rather and when they had tell it happens to you placed in such a late part of the show with this kind of setup that was pretty close to the setup that glory had last year with common and john legend which ended up winning the award for selma actually i thought okay here we go this is going to be you know glory part two you have all these victim you have all these victims of sexual abuse on stage you have this huge grand piano you have 
Gaga borderline bawling her eyes out, and there was not a single dry eye in the entire auditorium. I thought, here we go, they saved this one for the end because of that very reason. And I think Sam Smith himself was, was even quite confused as he thanked all of his fellow nominees and he singled out Lady Gaga for, I think, a blatant reason, I would say. Yeah. Uh, two quick things. It's not Diane Warwick that w- that wrote the song. It was Diane Warren. Uh, Warren, yes, yes two, sorry. Two very different musicians. Oh my uh, God, yes, they are. <laughs> and, and two, uh, I don't normally like to get picky about this, but survivors, not victims. Okay, yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, one interesting thing is uh, about Sam Smith's acceptance speech was he said uh, that he, he read somewhere that uh, Patrick Stewart said, or Ian McKellen said that there were no openly gay Oscar winners, and if that's true, he's happy to be the first. Which, the sentiment on the surface sounds really good, and then I I saw today that not only is that not true, he didn't even really understand what he had read. Um, The original quote was that there has never been an open actor to win an acting oscar which is true um and there has been openly gay winners including dustin lance black who wrote milk so dustin lance black tweeted to sam smith and was like congratulations but you know uh you're not the first openly gay oscar winner i am uh i was um sort of thing and then sam smith's reply which i really like him and i and you know i defend him to people who don't like his music his response was a little short-sighted where he said um he was like oh it didn't matter if it was for the first the second or the 50th openly gay person you know i just care so much about the community and then he followed it up with uh belated congratulations and i'll have to check out your films which if if you know if dustin lance black had written literally anything other than milk i would say that's a fine thing to say you know if he had written the big short if he had written spotlight or spotlight would be a bit different but if he had written the big short or the revenant you know that's none that matters but the fact is he wrote milk which is about one of the single most important gay icons yeah Granted, Smith is British and Milk is American, but it just seems like such a bang your head on the wall sort of thing is if you haven't seen Milk, don't say you haven't seen it while still saying that what you did was completely for the gay community. Not to take anything away from from his advocacy, because that's something that's important to me um, as well, but, you know, being an out musician is is much different than being an out actor uh yep. i can't think of you know any any leading men who have continued to get uh romantic lead parts in movies after they have come out you know you can look at someone like neil patrick harris with his character on how i met your mother but you know he came out after he was cast on that show you look at yep. someone like um uh, I can't remember the guy's name from the Big Bang Theory. 
Uh, oh, um, uh, Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons came out after he was already on that show, and they've established his already weird asexuality while still having a girlfriend thing. Um, yeah. Someone like Rupert Everett, he's no longer a leading man, things like that. So, so it's a very, very different uh, sort of um, comparison to make for a singer. Like, how many awards has Elton John won? No one, no one cares that Elton John writes love songs and, and, while still being a gay man because the it, the concepts are universal for for the music industry. Unfortunately, he's also not the key writer as well. It, it, it doesn't matter. Like it, it's just a completely different thing. Like no one's gonna complain about Elton John singing a love song between a man and a woman and being like, well, you can't sing about that, whereas there is still some sort of stigma about a gay leading man playing a straight role. Or even, like, let's look at Ellen Page, for instance, who recently came out. Um, one of her most important films since was Freehold, which is also about the subject matter, but I think she's been trying to say the same thing as well, where it's like, now that I've come out, could I have made something like Juno? Am I not going to get those kinds of rights anymore to play a heterosexual character? I don't think I can. And that's, that's pretty sad because, you know, like people should be open about however they're feeling or whatever they're passionate about. And to kind of have these these kinds of roles stripped away just because of something like that, I think is silly. Because how many straight people have, have played homosexuals or transgender? You know, you, you can see like Eddie Redmayne, for instance, but it doesn't work the opposite way around. And I think that's still a problem. It is. Uh, but I don't want to get too political about this. Um that's, I think, a a, concept, uh, a talk for a different day. Uh, moving on, Amy won Best Documentary. I knew that one was going to win. That was probably my least favorite documentary of the group. I thought the documentaries yeah. this year were pretty strong. Winter on Fire and The Look of Silence being my two favorites. Right. Um, did, were you a fan of it? Did you think it should have won? I really liked Amy. It was probably my second favorite after The Look of Silence, which, you, you know me, I love The Act of Killing, and I, and I love its its sister film, The Look of Silence. So I think those are both really strong films. Uh, Winter on Fire was actually my third favorite. I loved Amy for the fact that it felt like a film and not really like a documentary, even though it had interviews. They kind of use them as narration for the film as opposed to like a sit-down. It felt like you were watching a candid feature-length film about somebody whose life just went way off the rails and I love that kind of aspect for it I still preferred The Look of Silence but I guess I liked Amy a lot more than you did <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah I don't know whatever <laughs> it's awesome. um, neither of us including Dasha got any of the shorts right which was uh, you know I don't want to say surprising because the, the shorts can sometimes be such a crapshoot you never know what you're going to get um but it sort of sucks that the the documentary short that won was the one that neither of us were able to see. We went to to TIFF and they were showcasing four of the five, and the one that they didn't show, a girl in the river, uh, ended up winning. So I can't even comment if it's good or not. Well, the the directors won before, so I guess that's a good sign. <laughs> of, of the four that you did see, did you have a favorite? Uh, Body Team Twelve. That's really? the one that I. I, I had issues with Body Team 12. That one seemed like that was the front runner otherwise. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the best shot, but th it was too short. There was too many questions unanswered. It's about people picking up dead bodies after they die from malaria, was it? 
Yeah, something like that. In Africa. And they didn't really talk about, you know, more of the effects of the disease on on the culture. It just was basically like a day in the life of this woman on this job. And it was it was just like so open-ended and like I wish it could have gone on and explored some different directions and and how their what their work is doing to the community how it is actually affecting them instead of it was just like we come in we sometimes have problems with the families we take the bodies well to be fair i'm not the biggest person on documentaries not that i'm not into them but it's probably the kind of filmmaking i watch the least it's just i don't get around to watching them so documentary shorts especially for me are a rather a new concept for me and to me, I kind of like that, but maybe maybe if I end up watching more, which I will for future Academy Awards or just out of interest, I might be on the same page. But it was the, the most well shot, and I thought it was... I thought that kind of concept was interesting, but who knows? Ask me the same question a few years down the line, and I might agree with you, actually. Like, I really thought... Um... Last Day of Freedom should have won. That was the animated one. Which yes, is sort that of, one is so well drawn. Yeah, which was sort of interesting because I really like the the way it was shot and everything like that. Um, but it was funny. Uh, before we saw them, my girlfriend asked me, can a documentary be animated? And I, I thought about it. I was like, well, there's Waltz with Bashir, but that's not really a straight documentary. And that's the closest thing that I could think of where something like that I don't like because the whole idea of a documentary means that it's rooted in truth and has to be real. And then, you know, we watch the documentary shorts and lo and behold, one of them is animated. <laughs> There's your answer. Because it almost is it almost becomes a narrative version of it because Last Day of Freedom includes recreations of the people depicted in the story that were not actually shot. Whereas I believe the, the interview with the main guy was something that was shot on camera. Well, technically it's still a documentary because you're documenting how you particularly feel about this through illustration. I mean, if you look at something like Guy Madden's uh, My Winnipeg, I believe it's called, which is a bit of an experimental documentary, that completely surrounds itself in fictitious things, but that's because it's Guy Madden thinking subconsciously and in a dreamlike fashion. So... That's technically a documentary, so can this be? Uh, I don't. I would not consider my Winnipeg to be a documentary, though. I don't think it's categorized as that as officially. Maybe not. I think it's debatable, though. Yeah, like it, it contains aspects of that, uh, but it it is definitely done in a in a traditional narrative fashion as well, where it is structured and set up to be film. Well, I guess in that sense, um, something that apparently was a bit of a documentary um we in the animated shorts uh i want to hear what you have to say about this because i know you weren't too fond of this short apparently this had to do with um personal experiences the director had what do you think of a bear story winning i love the animation in that uh the that was a short that kind of raised more questions than it really answered you have between five and 15 minutes to tell a story, you need to tell that story as solidly as possible with, so that there are there's no doubt in anyone's mind what the story means. And Bear's story left 
me scratching my head being like, okay, what is this an allegory for? Why did they use the circus? What happened to this bear's family? Why are there other animals in this uh, puppet show he has, but there's no only bears in real life? It, like It was just a very sort of confusing narrative fashion that did not work for me when I thought Sanjay's Super Team, World of Tomorrow, and We Can't Live Without Cosmos were were far better. I loved World of Tomorrow. I also did like Bear Story, but my personal favorite was World of Tomorrow, and I, w- I wish something by Don Hertzfeld would win because they're, his animations are hilarious, but they're also quite imaginative, I would say. like They go above what typical animations would, would do. And I did like a Bear Story. I did get more of an emotional connection with it than than you did but to me even even that was even a surprise truth be told it was it was very surprising i i really thought sanjay's super team was gonna win if not i i think world of tomorrow would would have been next in line because it had that sort of um trend transcendental appeal where that movie was talked about a lot on critics best of list so i figured it would be easier for people to find it was on netflix so like even the voters didn't really have any excuse not to see that one so yeah i don't know i don't know what to tell you but uh, do you feel a little bit better about who won for the best live action short um uh, stutter one i liked it quite a bit i thought it was really adorable i know that one was one of your favorites i actually yes. didn't have a favorite of that category i would have been okay with any of them winning they all had sort of pros and cons for me uh where they're all sort of you know like a, a seven out of ten yeah maybe i uh, stutterer was my favorite but i i personally thought it was the most basic out of all of them which that's not a bad thing because again it was my favorite of the group but I thought for sure that that meant it wouldn't end up winning. So I ended up going with one of the more political films, either Shock or, or Day One. And apparently I should have gone with my heart because, well, damn it, uh, it left me left me quite emotional in the movie theater. And I should have gone with my gut. Well, this, nope. is what, this is what I mean about Bear Story, where you also have a similar, very short time span to get your point across. And I think all of the live action shorts did a far better job communicating what those stories were. And Stutter probably best exemplified um, having a beginning, middle, and end with a clear arc and a nice resolution um, for for it that worked from start to finish. It did because it had this problem that this character had. He stutters and he can't speak, so he imagines basically everything he wants to say. He wants to meet up with this person he's been dating online and he hasn't talked to in six months. What does he do? And I think the way that it ended, it pulled my heartstrings so far that it basically choked me. And I should have again, I should have gone with my with my gut because apparently it works with other people. Yeah. Um who knows? It was it was a solid film. Like uh, we're talking a lot about these shorts. They're playing at TIFF. Um, I don't know if they still are, but every year they they show the shorts. If you have not checked them out, you really should. Um, they're they're phenomenal, and it's nice to see some non mainstream, non Hollywood, solid storytelling films. And, and they always do that, where it's nice to kind of step out your comfort zone. Um, then we get into the technical ones where I'm just going to sort of run through them because Mad Max really swept it up. 
editing, which wasn't really a surprise. Costume was a bit of a surprise, but also not really. Um, no one really doubted that it had solid costumes, but it was it was it sort of beat the traditional um, period piece. Makeup and hair, that was no contest for Mad Max. And production design, uh, you thought it would be the Danish girl, while both Dash and I said Mad Max. Um, it just sort of seemed that it was carrying the weight and was going to get swept up through most of the technicals. And then lastly, both sound editing and sound mixing. The only thing that I want to really say about that is I loved how they presented those awards by uh, each of the nominees instead of announcing it really they showed the sound they showed why they were nominated so hearing all the effects the gunshots the breathing the hitting the punching the trees moving everything like that the cars it made me it made me love and appreciate all of the nominees in those two categories way better than any other category was introduced i think you said it best um I loved how they laid out most of the categories this year, but that was also impressive because I think that those categories are usually overlooked, sound mixing and sound editing. I remember one year, you you probably remember which year I'm talking about, they actually tried to explain the difference between sound mixing and sound editing um, before the nominees were called, and that was that was appreciative as well. But I think this is the best way that they've ever done it. You know, they, As you said, you heard the examples, so you could actually pinpoint even if you're not a cinephile, why these were nominated. That being said, Mad Max deserved it. What a lovely day, as I said in my awful rendition of that. But yes, basically, you get the gist of it. What a lovely day, Shani and Crow, Mad Max, la da Yeah, uh, and then the last one was special effects, where, once again, I thought Mad Max was going to win that. We all did. And Ex Machina came through, and I'm I'm so happy that that one won. That was one of my favorite movies of the year. And making Alicia Vikander a robot um, was done so flawlessly and integrated so well into the film. Right. And while I was surprised that it won, I'm also super glad because it beat a technical giant this year. It won despite the fact that it's this much smaller film that didn't get much recognition outside of like two other nominations let's say i'm glad because you know what this is a big breakthrough especially when usually when you have technical giants like avatar inception whatever they sweep up everything and this is usually the first place that they attack but the fact that Mad max swept everything except for this it's refreshing i have to say i have to say x machina winning that I had said when it wasn't Mad Max, that was the proof that Mad Max was not going to win Best Picture. And I think the fact that The Revenant didn't also win that and also sweep some of the below the line technical awards was proof that you can look back and be like, well, that's why it didn't win Best Picture as well. Yeah, no, fair enough. The only other award it did end up winning, though, was for its cinematography, where Emmanuel Lebeski pulled off the incredible you know you had in with his own record um being one of the few directors to win back to back lebeski won three years in a row for gravity birdman and now the revenue which well done he's probably the best working cinematographer out there i think he's a genius yeah you know it's tough that roger deakins lost yet again um 
but Lubeski is is definitely up in that top tier with uh, with Deakins, with Hoyt Van Hoytma. Uh, there's a couple others that I'm blanking off the top of my head uh, that their work is so unique and they they have more of a fingerprint on their films than some directors do, which which is something that is. I don't know. I like it, I guess. It's it's a it's a bit of a different feeling, but it's nice to see people that have such distinctive styles. Yeah, because I think there was a time in the 90s when auteurs were getting really well-known. You know, you had like Tim Burton or whatever, so directors were being well-known amongst the mainstream films. So it inspired a lot of, you know, cinephiles like yourself and myself, maybe. But now I feel like the cinematographers are kind of taking that step as well, where I think people are really paying attention now to the difference between directing and cinematography, especially younger generations. So I think that's great. I think it's super important to identify the difference as well. And to see the art of filmmaking is not just kind of being the overall aesthetic a director's creating. So I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think it was a pretty good year. Um, the movies were, were all, for the most part, great. Uh, some really deserving people walked away with trophies. If you don't care about the Oscars, who cares? You know, it's just one night of the year. People are going to stop talking about it a few days anyways. But uh, I like them. It's it's fun. It's, it's an interesting way to look at movies and to remember them. And it causes good debates to be had because, you know, we can still talk about the King's speech and debate whether or not someone else deserved to win, it deserved to win it all, or the merits of uh, Spotlight beating The Revenant or Birdman last year, things like that. Like, and it, it, it's, all, it's all in fun, it's all in jest, and you know, it causes people that might not have seen certain movies to be exposed to them, which I think is, is a great end goal to have no matter what. Yeah, out of all the EGOT awards, which, you know, are the Grammys, the Tonys, and the Emmys, um, I feel like the Oscars are the most deeply rooted in this kind of sensibility where it's like you have these these pools of people voting on who's going to win. You have this interest where, you know, it you're viciously going through all of these films looking at what's going to happen because the Grammys more of a spectacle and artists you're really familiar with. The Emmys are the same kind of shows dominating all the time. The Tonys are, I would say, like like the Oscars, but because theater is so deeply rooted in within itself it's kind of like a club that if you're not a part of it you're kind of excluded which i need to get into more theater stuff maybe you can help me with that but aside from that the oscars are the most kind of inclusive where it's like here welcome here are some foreign films if you haven't seen these you're not into documentaries well we've got some good shit over here animation i know you like pixar but what about these other films this one's from brazil this one's really cool i think it's a great introduction to so many different varieties of world cinema and different things you could do with film while praising those that end up you know kind of deserving it it doesn't always get get it right and there's a lot of controversy sometimes but i think overall despite being flawed i love the oscars because it it opens my mind and it challenges me on my own film taste where i say okay why did this win and this didn't i appreciate this one more what happened here and it gets me talking with others and it gets me talking with myself so Damn it, Oscars, I love you. Sounds good. Where can everyone find you? You can find me to, um, you know, yell about my wrong picks over at Andreas Babs. 
And you can find me at DGAPA. And you can follow us at ContraZoomPod. Make sure you check out the show notes on liveandlimbo.com. And please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review, all that great stuff. So thank you so much for listening. Oh, me.